Well, the Olympics have started. Have you watched any yet? A little bit? Uh, depending on the TV provider that you had, I heard that you could have up to nine different channels of Olympics. Uh, and of course, you know, we see all these athletes and they are all hoping for the best. Maybe they're going to win a place on the medal stand. And for many of them, this is a dream that they have been, been chasing since they were little kids. But what is it like to win a medal? And what happens to you after you do win a medal? Well, uh, we're going to watch a video of a, an Olympic, former Olympic gymnast, Sean Johnson, who grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. This is her story. Let's watch. I can remember every detail about Beijing. The smell, the lights, the crowd. I remember Nastia Lukin to go up and compete and give a beautiful routine. And I remember looking at her score and it was a, it was one point higher than the highest score I had conjured up in my mind that it was impossible for me to get a gold medal. I remember my heart just sinking. The entire world is being told. Do I even go out and compete? Do I just throw it? I remember thinking, well, if, if you can't win the gold medal, at least prove to the world that you deserved it. And starting my routine and giving the best routine of my entire life. I'd never felt lighter in my life. I felt like I was on top of the world. I remember seeing 50,000 people on their feet giving me a standing ovation. I told everybody it was the biggest honor of my life, but really kind of crushed my heart. I remember being given the silver medal on the podium. The person who did it gave me a hug and told me, he said, I'm sorry. And I remember that being really strange for me because it's kind of like I was being given a silver medal at the Olympic Games and being told I'm sorry. So it was kind of like a validation in my heart that I had failed. I got two more silver after that. Then finally got a gold, but it was like once I got the gold, I, it didn't matter. But like, like the damage was done. I would go to school every day and every single person would be asking about gymnastics or watching me on TV or reading an interview. I, every news article in the entire world said that I was going to come home with four Olympic gold medals. And I'd given 200% that day in competition and laid it out on the floor. but. I felt like I had failed the world. I felt like since the world saw me as nothing else, then if I failed at being a gymnast, I failed at being a human being. I was 16 years old living in a fishbowl. You know, every single person and their mother was applauding and congratulating me and also critiquing me because I was on a world stage. It was now about what I wore and how I looked. I was growing up in the limelight. I was 16 years old and, you know, a, a muscular gymnast, and I was not even four or eight. And I was dancing next to girls who were, you know, supermodels. And I remember at, at 16, 17, from Dancing with the Stars, reading all of these blogs and reading newspaper articles and seeing headlines of people criticize my weight and my appearance. and. 
you know, my personality and my character, and it affected me immensely. It drove me to, to try to change everything about myself. Trying to act like someone you aren't and trying to look like someone you will never be um, is exhausting and draining. And, you know, feeling like the world doesn't accept you for who you are kind of, it, it hurts your heart. I feel like when all of that kind of compiled into to one big moment and it was this 2012 comeback and I had all these sponsors and I think around six months before the actual Olympic trials, I was hitting probably my all-time low. I was spending probably over 40 hours a week training. I was constantly trying to lose weight, but it wasn't happening. My parents wanted me to go see a psychologist or go see a doctor because they thought I was like clinically depressed. Um, I, I remember I was like losing hair. I wasn't able to sleep. I wasn't eating properly. I was struggling with, I wasn't 16 any longer. And so for months, I just, I just pushed myself in practice. And I said, you know, it's, if this is what will make the sponsors happy and my parents happy and my coach happy and the team and the USA national team happy and if this is what is right for everybody, then this is what's right for me. I can just push through it. And, you know, day after day, come home from practice just bawling and bawling and not having any outlet of peace. I remember walking into practice one day, uh, getting up on the beam and like, standing at the edge of the beam, looking down, getting ready to start flipping. And it's one of those moments that's really hard to explain and really hard for, I, I feel like, a lot of people to understand. But in that one moment, I felt like God was telling me, you know, you've, you've been so distraught over this decision and been putting yourself through all of this and your family through all of this. And you've been afraid of disappointing a lot of people. and you know, not been yourself, but it's okay to to follow your heart and to, to put it behind you. In that instant, I felt the entire world was like be lifted off my shoulders. And it was like in that one instant, I knew it was all gonna be okay. I was, I was giving my heart and soul and getting to a place that I was not proud of, all for that gold medal again, that I distinctly remember in 2008, not being the greatest thing in the world. And I think it's just kind of that validation that there's always more. God is the answer to everything. And Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross so that when I stood up there and I was given that gold medal, Yes, it's a monumental and amazing experience and wonderful thing, but it's not the end all be all. Yes, I can work my whole life to become the CEO of a company or to make a certain amount of money or to win 12 more Olympic gold medals, but it's not the purpose in life. And he will always be my greatest reward and my proudest reward. My name is Sean Johnson, and I am second. That's something, wasn't it? 
You can uh, find those I Am Second videos on YouTube and uh, or on their website. There's a lot more of them. Sean Johnson discovered that there is more to life than chasing gold. It's like she said in the video, it's not the end all, be all. And God uh, showed her that she had more to live for, more to live for than, than the expectations of other people. In the Bible, the Apostle Paul, one of the things he liked to do is use athletics as a metaphor to talk about life with Jesus. And one of those passages is our theme scripture for this series. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the last part of verse 7, and then at verse 8. You see it up here on the screen. And uh, so, uh, since it's our theme verse, I'm going to have us all say it together, shall we? Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And as we often do with this series verse, I invite you to grab an index card and copy this down. You can take a picture of it now, whatever you want to do. Um, but uh, I hope you'll take it home and recite it. If you don't have a chance to copy it all down, get the reference and you can get the rest of it later. Uh, it's interesting, in this particular letter to, to Timothy, the, uh, the word that's used most often, I think eight times in this letter, to describe the goal of, of life with Jesus is godliness. In other places of the Bible, they use other words like holiness or maturity or righteousness, but really it's all pointing to the same thing. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, what is godliness? You know, that's the word you, maybe you hear a godly person or whatever. What does that mean? I like the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases godliness. He calls it this, a God-filled, God-honoring life. What is godliness? Say it with me. A God-filled, God-honoring life. Now, here's the deal. A few times during this message, I'm going to ask you that question, and the answer's not going to be on the screen, but I'm counting on you to know it and say it, okay? So we're going to practice one more time, and every time I ask, what is godliness, you're going to reply with this nice and bold and loud, all right? You ready? So this time with the screen, what is godliness? You got it? Good. All right. Now, godliness requires training. And that's probably a surprise to a lot of us because we just think, okay, I'm just going to float along through life and just kind of take it as it comes. But godliness does not develop accidentally. We must pursue it intentionally. You know, it's the same with the Olympic athletes. I mean, nobody just shows up in Rio and says, hey, can I sign up and compete? No. They all, they all been training for years. You know, you heard Sean Johnson say that when she was training, he was over 40 hours a week. I, I have a friend who's in uh, Boulder, Colorado today. Uh, how many of you uh, in our middle school and high school students remember Mike Hiley, when, Mike Hiley when he spoke here last fall? Any of you remember? Yeah, some of you do. Uh, anyway, 
at this very moment, Mike is competing in an Ironman triathlon. You know what that involves? 2.4 mile swim. And then you get out of the water and you get on your bike for a 112 mile ride. And then you get off your bike and run a full 26.2 mile marathon. How can he do that? You know how he did it? He trained. He'd get up every morning at 4 o'clock and train before going to work. He'd train on the weekends. Uh, I saw one morning not long ago, he had gotten up early for a run and he was out running. And he said within a half a mile of his run, he threw up. Now, if that had been me, I said, okay, it's time to go back home. <laughs> and actually, for me, that probably would have been the right choice, you know. But not for him. He's training for the Iron Man. He kept going. You know, we talk about the three Ds of disciples, deep, daring, and daily. Well, I was thinking that, you know, for training, there are other Ds. Direction, devotion, determination, discipline. Now, Mike was born with tremendous athletic gifts. Uh, but when it came to running the Ironman, he needed direction. He ran his first one last year. When he first started training for that, he didn't even know how to swim. He had to learn. We need direction, we, which means we need coaching and mentoring and, and learning. Uh, he had to learn about his sport. Uh, he, and then he has to pursue his goal with nearly fanatical devotion, determination, and discipline. In the same way, godliness requires training. What is godliness? That was kind of muddy, but you got it. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the race of faith, we start with a gift. You know, I said Mike has started with athletic gifts. We start with a gift. It's called grace. God is good to us even though we don't deserve it, even though we've hurt God and rebelled against God. Jesus took our sins on himself and took them away when he died on the cross. God, by his grace, changes our lives. God provides the power. God brings the transforming energy. So we seek God's direction, and then we bring whatever devotion, determination, and discipline we can. And here's the thing. You have more devotion, determination, and discipline than you realize. A lot of us think, oh, I don't really have much. You have more than you realize. I know because you bring them to other areas of your life. I know some of you who are, who are all about that, you're, you're getting direction, devotion, determination, and giving discipline to your work. I mean, you, you, you're all about it. You, you're highly invested. Uh, how many of you have a sport or a hobby that you're just, I mean, you're passionate about it. You're really into it. A lot of you do. Now, I've, I've never been athletic. Never... You know, I mean, I just was never, I mean, I go to a ball game, and I never wish I was out on the court of the field. I always wish I was in the band. You know, that's me. Before the age of 40, I had never run a mile that I know of. But after I turned 40, I started jogging. And then a few years into it, uh, it you know, trying that, 
Uh, one morning I was out, and some of you know the story, I was out jogging and I broke my leg. <laughs> jogging. Who does that? <laughs> you know? And so, you know, that guy, well, that's it, you know, no more running for me, you know. But I, somehow, after my leg healed, I started up again. And at age 47, I ran the first and only race of my life. Some of you know I ran a half marathon, 13.1 miles. Like somebody said on the way out of the first service, that means I'm only half crazy, right? <laughs> okay. But anyway, how did it happen? Well, I trained for it. You know, I, I, I started running, and then I had to be committed and, and devoted, determined, disciplined to run four times a week. And then in the last two or three months, I had to have a long run once a week. Uh, and, uh, and, and why did I do that? Well, it's because I wanted to run the race. I wanted to finish the race. And when you belong to Jesus, you're in the race, right? He's brought you in. You, you are pursuing godliness. You know, I feel like I'm running the race toward godliness. Why? Because I was a dead man walking. And Jesus brought me life. I belong to him, and this is where he's put me. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, how do you do that? How do you train yourself to be godly? Well, I, I pulled some things from the, the, this letter to 1 Timothy, the first letter to Timothy, um, and these are some essentials, I feel, for uh, for the training, uh, so I encourage you to jot these down as well or take a photo of these, and, and I want you to know this is for all of us, okay? First, learn the scriptures. So, so don't be fooled by every idea that's out there and everything somebody says because you, you're, 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 you got your head in the word. Learn the truth. Know the gospel. Be the kind of person, you, yeah, you could share the good news with somebody, Right? Because you know it. You could, you could share it with somebody. Keep your conscience clear. Live that kind of trustworthy, exemplary life. And if you sin, when you sin, then confess it and, and receive forgiveness. And then what do you do? You let it go. You let it go. You move on. Stay close to God in worship and prayer. You know, a lot of times we think worship and prayer are just duties, things we go. These are ways we stay close to God. And as with all training, there are some don'ts. And in this first letter to Timothy, uh, Paul thinks that a couple of them are especially worth mentioning, probably because they're so common or so dangerous. He says, don't give in to sexual immorality. Yeah, we all have some urges and desires, but if you try to satisfy them in a way that doesn't fit with God, you're only going to hurt yourself. And then, don't love money. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a billionaire or you're broke. If what you love is money, if what you crave is, the, is, is riches, then it'll poison your soul. And the only way, and then Paul mentions this in, in 1 Timothy, the only way to, to break that is two things. Be content and be generous. Learn to be content and be generous. And if you accept this training, 
Let me tell you, God's going to work in your life in wonderful ways. He's going to use you in wonderful ways. But that doesn't always happen. Because sometimes we just get stuck, right? It, it, happen, it can happen to all of us. And it happened to the recipients to the letter to the Hebrews in the Bible. They, they were coming up short in their pursuit of godliness. They were getting stuck. So, and what is godliness? Right, a God-filled, God-honoring life. You're so good. <laughs> All right, now please open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 11, uh, the same passage that Laura read for us a little bit ago. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1207. And uh, by the way, as I often like to say, if you're here today, you don't own a Bible, just take that Pew Bible home, okay? You'll have a Bible then from this day forward. We'll stick another one in during the week. All right, uh, now these followers of Jesus were not living up to their potential. Um, and as I said before, that can happen to any of us. So if you'll follow along with me, starting with verse 11. It says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. I mean, this is kind of like, you know, my brain is shut. My ears are closed. I'm not paying attention. So there's a lack of effort on their part. They're receiving direction, but they're not responding with devotion, determination, and discipline. And what happens? The result is in verse 12. It says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You ought to be graduated from college right now. You're still in elementary school. Because they're not putting much into it, they're not getting much out of it. It says you need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Well, if you read the whole book of, of Hebrews, you realize he's given them a lot of solid food, whether they want it or not, <laughs> pushing it in. And in verse 14, he has this, but solid food is for the mature who, and will you say the rest of the verse with me, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The, probably the most popular sport to watch on TV in the Olympics in the summer games is gymnastics. Would you guess? I mean, this gets a lot of primetime coverage. Um, and four foot eight, Simone Biles may be the U.S. biggest chance for a medal in that sport. But, you know, like a lot of you, I, I love watching it, but I can't always tell the difference between a good performance and a great one. But these gymnasts, they, they, they have trained themselves with their coaches to distinguish between what is excellent and what is not quite excellent. They've, they've learned to pay attention to details that we non-gymnasts would never notice. You know, I think that's a big part of training for godliness. It's developing a distinguishing eye for right and wrong. It's developing that kind of distinguishing eye 
for what God wants in our lives. And so we need to train. We need to train. It may come as a surprise to you, but there's not a Bible verse for everything. You know that? For every, for every dilemma that you face in life, there's not a, clear, a real clear do this or don't do that. So I want to share this with you as part of what it means to train in godliness. We'll put up the next slide there. There we go. Training in godliness means learning the Scripture story well enough to make decisions in new situations. Does that make sense? For example, if you're, if you're looking in the Bible for very clear Bible verses and instruction on how to vote, good luck with that. In, in most English translations of the Bible, uh, the word vote only appears once. Did you know that? Did you know it appeared at all? It's in Acts 26.10. Uh, Paul confesses that he once hunted down Christians and he had them arrested. And it says, when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Literally, I looked in the, in the Greek background to it, that he put his stone against them because you know how they voted. He put in the black stone instead of the white stone. Before he became a Christian, Paul voted for the death penalty for Christians. But the Bible doesn't tell us how to vote. We have to take what we learn and apply it to our voting. And that's not easy. Training in godliness means learning the Scripture story well enough to make decisions in new situations. And what is godliness? One more time. God-filled, God-honoring life. I remember a student ministry director from a previous church, and uh, he and I are still friends, by the way. I saw him last month. But one time we had a disagreement. He had planned a casino night for the youth group. And uh, they were going to have poker tables and blackjack tables and all kinds of games of wager and, and chance. And his reasoning was, well, you know, the Bible doesn't give any co commandments against gambling, and so it can't be a sin. And anyway, this isn't really gambling because we're going to be playing for candy instead of money. Well... Yeah, he's right. You know, there are no direct commandments against gambling in the Bible, but there weren't any casinos in Jerusalem either, <laughs> you know. Distinguishing good from evil is not easy. Now, gambling's a subject that Christians disagree on. I recognize that. Methodists have a long tradition of opposing gambling for a number of compelling reasons that I won't go into today. That'll have to be another sermon. But personally for me, what it comes down to is that I've decided, as best as I'm able to, that all my money belongs to God and that I don't think gambling is what he wants me to do with his money. Jesus, you know, had a lot to say about money and how to use it in the kingdom of God, uh, but trying to win the lottery was never one of them. That, that's why I decided, you know, I, I just can't 
bear in my conscience to, to glorify gambling for our students by having casino night, even if it just means just betting with candy. You know, the Bible also says, I've just read this this week, that um, if, if you believe something's a sin, if you believe it's a sin, and you do it anyway, then it is a sin. And because I believe that a casino party just was out of bounds, it was not, not appropriate, and because I was the pastor, <laughs> I canceled it. And a lot of the young people didn't understand, weren't very happy about it. Was I right? Well, we could debate that. But I had to keep my conscience clear. Training in godliness means learning the scripture story well enough to make decisions in new situations. One more story. And I'm going I'm to change some details of the story to protect identities. One day I got a call from a church member in a crisis. So she came into the office to see me. She was a nurse at a hospital and she told me that she had a drug addiction. When she told her husband, he left and took the kids. She told me also how she got her drugs. When she was asked to give an injection to a patient, she'd inject part of it into herself and then add water to the patient's dosage, diluting it, so it looked like they were getting the full amount. Now, normally, you know, you're a pastor, someone's facing an addiction, you don't, you don't turn them in. You, you get them help, right? But here, this was a whole different kind of dilemma. She stole from the hospital. She compromised the health of patients. And she wasn't ready to quit her job either. And I wasn't completely sure she'd never do it again. So what do I do? I mean, she shared this with me with the expectation of pastoral confidentiality. I, I keep pastoral confidentiality. I mean, it is holy to me. How can I break that confidence? But what about my responsibility to others? You know, sometimes godliness means we got to wrestle with some really hard questions. How do I distinguish what is right in this situation? Anyway, while I was wrestling with all that, as it turns out, someone else reported her. And, um, and when they did, she confessed. But I will say, usually life doesn't make it easy on you like that. Kind of got me off the hook, but usually it doesn't happen that way. We have to train for godliness. We have to, to learn to, to develop a distinguishing eye for what is right and true, for what is good and what is not, for what is, what is good and what is evil. And sometimes those are going to be very gray. Are you ready to train yourself to be godly? 
instead of just kind of floating along through life, kind of taking it as it comes, are you willing to say, okay, I'm going to step up. I'm going I'm to be trained for godliness. I, I want that in my life. Are you ready to put in the devotion, the determination, the discipline that it takes to go for the gold? Because if you do, let me tell you, there is a great reward. They're not going to hang a medal around your neck. But there is a promise that it will hold great blessing for you both in this life and the life to come. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, um, we, we see these uh, competitors at the Olympic Games and we marvel at what they can do. They just seem like superhuman almost. And yet, we realize that along with their gifts, they have put in an enormous amount of training. And sometimes, Lord, we are lazy. We're, we just kind of lack the motivation. We don't apply ourselves to, to what it means to belong to you and follow you and, and to pursue godliness. And so, Lord, we confess that before you. We ask that you will forgive us and put our feet on a new path. Help us to apply ourselves that we can become more like Jesus. We pray in his name.